0: Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt Townsend, who is in San Diego, probably overlooking Mission Bay as we speak, which is one of my favorite spots in San Diego. All right, today we're going to talk about speaking, public speaking. Have you ever been sitting and listening to a speaker and watched them and, and either either had a nap or thought about how you could do this better in a thousand different ways? What about when it's your turn to public speak? Uh, are you afraid? And uh, we're going to talk about that today. We've got a great guest. And all that and more coming up right after the news with Sam McCall.
1: This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Whistleblowers are revealing documents which allege numerous instances of significant misconduct by members of the State Department during former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's tenure. Among the supposed wrongdoings are claims a U.S. ambassador hired several prostitutes. The American Civil Liberties Union announced today it is suing the national government to change the constitutionality of the NSA's telephone surveillance programs, arguing they violate rights to privacy and free speech. Since the news of the NSA surveillance programs hit national headlines, sales of George Orwell's 1984 have skyrocketed. The book, which describes a totalitarian surveillance state, is now on Amazon.com's Movers and Shakers list, and sales are literally up by thousands of percent. Debate on immigration reform will begin in the Senate after a vote to move forward with a new bill won overwhelming support to move on to the next stage. Republicans who supported the measure today say they still require tighter border security before fully supporting the reforms. New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is unveiling a $20 billion plan to protect the city from future storms. The proposed precautions include temporary flood walls with removable planks and new dunes, levees and concrete bulkheads. In world news, Russian leaders say they are willing to be welcoming to NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden. Government spokesmen have even compared Snowden to WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange and called them both human rights activists. Thousands of Turkish protesters were cleared out of a major square in Istanbul as two weeks of protests continue today. A large police force used both tear gas and water cannons to disperse the demonstrators. In tech news, next-generation video game consoles have some people already preparing for the coming holiday season. Price points for Sony's PlayStation 4 and Microsoft's Xbox One were revealed this week, with the PS4 coming in $100 under the Xbox One at $399. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall.
0: Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt Townsend while he is on vacation, like we said before the news with Sam McCall. Today, we're talking about public speaking and, you know, nervous. Are you nervous when you have to speak publicly? Do you shake? Do you worry about it? Do you also get bored when people aren't very good public speakers? We're going to talk about the fear and great communication skills that you might start applying in your life to help you out with uh, better communication. And uh, if the need arises, public speaking. We've got Merritt, Bryce, Ben, Matt, and Aaron in here today, and we're excited to talk about nervous. Do you guys get ever get nervous when you have to speak?
2: I don't really get nervous when I speak as long as I have enough time to think about what I'm going to say. So I don't know, here it's a college campus, there's some of those teachers who will just call out students, like ask a question, they're like, you, you can answer this. Even if I know what they're saying, I haven't had the time to think about it, and that makes me panic. But if I have time to think about it for a few minutes, then I'm totally fine. It doesn't make me
0: very nervous at all. So panic, where is that panic? is like it in your t- your stomach, your toes uh, your my heartbeat goes up like okay, so your, heartbeat. your and, heart races. yeah, definitely okay. all right now Bryce is gonna tell us
3: oh well, I was in a physics class of two hundred kids, and you know when when you have that many people, it's kind of hard to get to know students, and so sort of the anxiety attack of he would just call out people, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't just, like, point at you. He had a, uh, these little 3 by 5 cards with everyone's <laughs> picture on it. So he wouldn't just, like, like, it wasn't if I just don't sit in the front, he probably isn't going to call on me. He would wander all over the place, and he'd just flip through his cards and land on someone and be like, this person. And then he'd look out and try and find you. So not only did he have your name, he had your face, and he had you right there on the spot. To answer something. And did he check
0: you off once you answered or did it was yeah. just random? Oh, okay. he, he
3: tried to cycle through it, which is also bad. So it's not like, oh, he skipped me this time. I'm good for the rest of the semester. Nope. He'd come right back around for you every time.
0: Like, I'd like to know what his motive was.
3: He said he wanted to get to know everyone, which that's cool. Lies. I
0: know, right? <laughs> right? I,
4: initially suspicious, but, you know, whatever.
0: <laughs> okay, what about Ben?
4: I, I don't get really get nervous public speaking. Um, and I think this... Actually, kind of helps with that to a certain extent, like being on the radio. I've been working here a couple of years now. And it's, you know, you, when you start thinking about it and we're talking to, you know, a, a, an audience of who knows how many people listening out there, uh, you know, it, it is a form of public speaking, even though you're not seeing the audience. But I think that actually helps with it without getting nervous because you have to for work on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, I've been doing radio for 10 years. And sometimes it's harder because if you're speaking in front of a crowd, they're nodding or yawning or laughing or crying.
3: You get a little feedback.
0: You get a little feedback. But if you're on the radio, you're just, you know, if you guys weren't in here, I'd be talking to the wall. Right, right. <laughs> been there, done that for years. That's what, you know, a lot of hosts do. So, okay, so you don't, maybe it would make you less nervous or, you know, you don't know if you're doing well. You don't get any feedback. So feedback's important.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, though. With radio, I mean, you don't get to see the people's eyes. You don't see if they're wandering or maybe rolling their eyes at things you say, which they probably do for most of the things I say sitting in their cars right now. Um, or, you know, if they're laughing at your jokes or, or whatever, you don't get that kind of instant feedback that you do in front of an audience for sure.
0: Okay. And what about, what about that? Any thoughts on that? Public speaking.
5: Um, in all honesty, no, not really. I used to get nervous, like, as a kid. Um, not anymore. To be honest with you, I think I feel more comfortable.
0: Because you're so old now. Yeah
5: right i'm like 50 or something not really um but i i feel more comfortable actually talking in front of an audience than i do like on a one on one basis because with like for example if i'm talking to like just one person i have to like entertain or continue a conversation with one person if it's like a crowd i just need to make a group of people laugh or like i just need to like grab the attention of a group of people and that demographic will always change in a crowd but in all honesty um I would have to say, for me, public speaking is super, super easy. It doesn't bother me at all.
0: Okay. I hope there's someone out there listening. In fact, does anyone want to call in and tell us what scares them? Because I think it's scary. I've spoken in front of very, very large crowds, and you can call one eight five five 855 chat byu and that's one eight five five two four two eight two nine eight. And if, And by the way, you're listening to BYU Radio, just in case you're wondering where you're listening. So, okay, let's talk about... People, A lot of people, it's one of the number one fears. We talked about this in the show yesterday. Number one fears. When I was a kid, I had to give a speech when I was running for student body vice president. I had to give a speech. And it was the entire school. That's a little nerve-wracking.
3: What Was this high school? Was this middle high school. school? High school? Okay.
0: In high school. So I, I'm 16. I'm 16 years old. And I have to give a speech, and so my father gave me this story. Shall I do the story now, just really quick? He gave me the story, and this is this goes back to 1861. So I'm in high school in 1982, <laughs> just to give you guys a perspective. You're like a time travel sound yeah. effect okay. when you start telling old times are <laughs> <laughs> like doo, 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 doo. <laughs> It's because I'm so old. No, I'm not 50 yet. So I'm. Um, my father sits me down the night before, and he's like, you know, you want to win this election, you want to connect with the crowd, and I was thinking, I'm not going to live through this. And he told me the story that goes back to 1861, and it's a story of Russell Conwell. Now, have you ever heard the expression, when you get on stage, if you're nervous, to, to imagine that people are in their unders? You know, picture that. And, and you've heard that story. People talk about it all the time. And that's actually where it came from. 18, 1861, Russell Conwell was talking to President Abraham Lincoln. Russell Conwell was an author, a minister, and an American Civil War soldier. And he actually went in to um, to meet with President Lincoln because he was renowned for his famous speaking uh, ability and President Lincoln. The story goes that President Lincoln asked for suggestions and Russell Conwell gave him that suggestion in 1861. And and Abraham Lincoln became known for his chuckle, right? You guys don't remember because none of us were around then.
4: We've seen the movie, though. We've seen the movie. Which I believe was a documentary.
0: (laughs) Which was a documentary. Yeah, right. Hollywood produced full-fledged documentary. And that's how this started. In 1936, Dale Carnegie, who is a very famous speaker and the author of How to Win Friends and Influence People, kind of brought that back into vogue, if you will, is um, for people who are scared because so many people came to them and said, look, I have great information, but I don't know how to speak to my college class. I don't know how to speak in front of these great groups.
3: And probably the best way to uh, make any great information you may have look like it's not information worth having is to have no idea how to communicate it. That's a good problem.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, actually. That's a different perspective. I like that. So people do have that fear or that phobia. And none of you guys seem to have that phobia. But when I get up to speak, sometimes I'll shake. I think it's the strangest thing. But I, I don't usually, but sometimes I will shake. And those are very common physical you know, reactions. To now, Is that like a
4: conscious a conscious shake? Like, can, can you tell that you're doing it or is it almost like you, you don't even notice? Is, well, it's sort of an unconscious reaction.
0: That's a great question. In high school, I got up to the stage. When I finally got up to the stage and my last name, my maiden name is Power, um, Kim Power Stilson. And I got up and I was doing the Power to the People chant. People were <laughs> cheering and I pictured everyone in my student body in their unders and I was just like laughing. Got up, gave my speech. One, you know, student started body a vice revolution. president. <laughs> yeah, start a revolution. <laughs> I didn't realize that that was – I just thought it was clever. I didn't realize what I was doing. But, um, yeah. Be- because
4: so. I, I do notice that when, I, when I'm public speaking, I tend to – even if I'm not nervous, I do tend to, like, fidget my hands a lot. Like, I tend to shift yes. – a lot when I'm public speaking, like I do this motion a lot, which I uh, don't know why. It's, it is an unconscious reaction.
0: Very common. And I'm
4: not even nervous about it. There's just something about that my body like physiologically responds to in that way.
0: Well, and a lot of, a lot of times uh, people – I train people to speak in front of television cameras. And uh, United States Senator Robert F. Bennett, I trained him before he was the senator and I worked with him for a long time. He was really tall. So he would hunch over and he would twirl his pencil.
3: That's very regal, very senatorial <laughs> of him to do.
0: And he was also really like big with his really long arms, you mm-hmm. know? Like, he had really long arms. And so we had to teach him to grasp the sides of the podium and look out at people and not, you know?
4: I think that's my problem, too, because I'm, for those who can't see me right now, I'm like 6'4. And so I do, I kind of like, tend to stretch my arms out if I'm at a podium, like, and lean on it. Because yeah, I'm, because you, yeah. yeah, you almost have to, like, get down to a lower level because I'm too tall.
0: Okay, but that's good. You don't fear public speaking, but you do have idiosyncrasies well, that you have. Well, yeah, quirks, yeah. Quirks
4: that I notice about myself when I'm public speaking that I don't do if I was just, I mean, even talking right now here. So even if I'm not nervous about it, there are, yeah, weird little quirks and idiosyncrasies that I do that I would never do otherwise.
0: Well, everyone, even some of the best speakers, best politicians have fears about public speaking because you open your mouth, the whole world's watching. There's a little pressure there. So we're going to talk be talking about that today on the show and you've been doing a lot of research on it and what do you think are we about ready to
4: well one thing one thing i was thinking of was i was wondering why what effect teaching kids public speaking would have on them because i do feel like i was public speaking from the time i was a little kid uh, in church quite often and i know that's probably the same experience that a lot of us have here is speaking in church uh, in front of a congregation, and I've been doing that since I can remember, since I was three or four years old. And so I think that gave me kind of an experience in public speaking that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And so I tried to find some kind of research on on what effect that would have. And I found a study by the 4-H in North Carolina uh, where they had gave kids some public speaking training and then tried to figure out what how that helped them, sort of what attributes that helped them develop. Uh, and according to the 4-H, kids who learn public speaking skills when they're young, um, help them build confidence, uh, research skills, organization skills, uh, Communicate. Uh, help them communicate ideas better even in everyday life, not just in terms of public speaking, and help them set goals. So learning, teaching kids to be public speakers can be a real confidence builder uh, for later on in life, which is something I don't think, I mean, I don't remember my elementary school experience being teaching me to public speak, and maybe it should have been, and maybe that should be something a more intense part of the curriculum that we're not getting.
0: Yeah, how how to actually stand up and and share something without doing those t- uh, you know typical things. Yeah. So did you think practice made perfect, so to speak? Yeah, actually. I found a quote um, from uh, the
4: blog or website, uh, publicspeakingforkids.org, which is a site that has uh, various tools and things to help kids, teach your kids how to public speak better. But one of the things they said in one of their blog posts was, uh, the skill of speaking eloquently in public is one that is acquired through trial and error. It is not a skill you are born with. And I thought that was really interesting because we tend to think of people, Abraham Lincoln, uh, powerful, natural born orators. And uh, per them, that's not actually the case is that it is an issue of trial and error. It's not something you can go to a one day class of how to public speak. And you're an amazing public speaker. You have to do it over and over again Learn what works for you, learn what doesn't work for you, develop your own style. It is a, a trial and error issue, which I thought was really interesting.
0: So I, I think that is interesting. And then what about for everyone, is it better to go first or last? We had that little discussion before. But I think, you know, the, do the people that come first get the better break with the audience? And are they better? Or is it better to wait to the end to see what you need to say to get the audience you know reengaged?
3: I'll take either. I'm, I'm comfortable public speaking. I guess it really depends just on just not in an elevator, <laughs> just not in an elevator, never an elevator. Just don't talk. talking about the weather. <clears throat> just not the weather. Um, no, uh, if I know the subject matter, I'd rather go first and sort of you know set the tone and also be the person that people remember or at least increase my chances of you know sticking in their minds. But if I don't know it, I'd kind of like to not go first.
0: So we're talking about public speaking and about conversations today. So that's interesting. You know your content and you know what you're going to speak about. It's easier to stand up in front of hundreds of people than to not know the topic and talk and communicate with one person. Absolutely.
4: I think I'd rather go last, actually, because in the one hand, you can see what the opening – if someone's speaking before you, you can kind of see what they do and bounce off of them. So if they if they set the tone or if they set the level at a really high bar, then you know, like, I've got to come out – like and be on fire if they come out and they're pretty boring then you know how to respond like there is a certain um element of of improvisation i think uh with going last that i kind of would prefer i think
5: you have something to react to yeah exactly here's the thing though like you guys know like when you have a band-aid or something you're trying to pull it off i mean that that that's the point here is if you have some sort of fear of public speaking I feel like the longer you're waiting, isn't it? Kind of like the longer you're taking just to try and pull off that Band-Aid. It would be easier just to rip it off all in one one sitting. If you don't want to go first, if you want to see what other people are doing, go like second or third. But I would say you want to definitely be one of the first people to go.
0: Don't wait too long.
4: Yeah, the anticipation is actually – with a lot of things, right? The the anticipation is the worst part if you're nervous about it. I know
0: a lot of people rewrite their speech while they're waiting.
2: I would say that's true for me. I like to run through what I'm going to say, kind of the phrasings of things, because sometimes I I don't want to say my mind gets ahead of what I'm saying because I don't know that my mind's that fast. But sometimes I just will kind of tumble along into some sort of what used to be a sentence, but is now no longer <laughs> even a paragraph, whatever. But if I sit there and I have, if I have more time, so if I go last, I can kind of think of those phrases, think of how I want to make those points, and then, again, kind of hear what other people are doing, how they're communicating, what kind of colloquialisms they're using. And then I can more adequately plan what I'm going to say.
0: Okay. Well, I I, I think that's a, there's a different... You know, you're all none of you are afraid of public speaking, but you each take a different approach. So I think it'll be interesting for our guest who's coming up. He's going to talk to us about, you know, staying focused and speaking, and what are the, you know, it's more than tips and tricks. What about communication? How do we effectively communicate with a crowd? And his name is Dr. Jerry Gary Ger, Gennard. Is that right, Gennard? I think so. Okay, so that's the thing with radio. You never know. So he is a former stage actor in public speaking specials, and he'll be here to speak with us um, about how to give speeches and uh, how to overcome speech anxiety. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson filling in. We'll be right back with more.
6: Today's smartphones are pretty powerful, powerful enough to fly themselves around the International Space Station.
7: This is Innovation Now. Bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future.
6: The International Space Station is a complicated place to live and work. Keeping track of daily minor chores like checking air filters and gas sensors and monitoring various far-flung systems can take up a lot of time that NASA and the astronauts would rather spend running experiments or making observations. An innovative idea then presented itself. The station could have some remote flying robots inside to handle some of these inspection chores. These parts were mostly on hand already. A group of experimental microsatellites called spheres was already on the station from an earlier experiment. These spheres were rounded objects about the size of a volleyball. Built by MIT, they've been used to test how small satellites could fly together in formations, dock and undock with each other. The smart idea came from NASA's Ames Research Center. They've upgraded the spheres by strapping off-the-shelf smartphones onto them. Result? Instant Space Drone. Now, the devices are smart spheres, controlled remotely from Earth. Through the phones, they can fly around the station and take pictures of inspection items while astronauts are busy or asleep. Or texting, maybe? For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Ravino.
7: Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Tonight, BYU TV brings you a mystery of photographic memory and a legendary artist. First, the mystery gets deeper when a
3: big city reporter comes to town and starts asking questions on granite flats. After the mystery, meet the college student with the memory you wish you had in the computer wore tennis shoes. Finally, meet the singer who wrote an album that went platinum on three continents on the song that changed my life. Solve the mystery and hear the music tonight
7: on BYU TV.
0: Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt Townsend while he's away on vacation. I host a talk-worthy radio show right here on BYU Radio. And uh, it's fun to come in with this big crowd. We've got Merritt Bryce, Matt, Ben, and Aaron on engineering boards. And we're talking about the fear of public speaking, which obviously you none of you really have that fear.
2: <laughs> no, we're doing it all the time. Right now,
0: in fact. Yeah. I guess oh, that would be fearless. a hard thing to do when you're on the radio, to be afraid of it.
4: it. It kind of is, actually. You have to kind of get over it, I think.
0: I, I have to throw in this story because this is a kind of a conversation segue. But I'm on the radio working for a little radio station when I started out. And I was interviewing this guy and talking to him. And my, my co-host and I had to share the microphone. So this, she asked him a question, and I had to swing my microphone over to him. And the microphone hit him in the chest and knocked him out of his chair. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we – well, we laughed really hard. We felt terrible. was a heavy-duty really microphone. OK. So, yes, archaic micro- microphone. However, he became afraid of doing radio interviews. So – because he was so uncomfortable with into the microphone. So he never came back. So it's like the opposite of public speaking. There's actually now a phobia, thanks to me, um, of speaking in front of a microphone in a radio studio.
2: That's exciting. <laughs> you invented something. Yeah, I did. Years so. and years of therapy, all thanks to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I won't say his name, but yeah, he still has that fear. So, so that's, I mean, there's a difference between speaking in front of a large group and having conversations. And we were talking about that conversations can be difficult if you're not prepared.
2: Yeah, I find it interesting. One of the topics our guest is going to cover is kind of how to com- stay on topic, stay focused, and just, in essence, communicating effectively. And uh, I was lucky enough, I grew up with two professors in my home. My parents are both professors and um, just the, provided for a kind of weird atmosphere. But like, our dinner table conversations were just bizarre usually but we'd have to kind of be able to create dialogue from a young age because otherwise we wouldn't get heard <laughs> unless we were effectively contributing to the conversation
0: like for example
2: um for example so if we brought up some sort of idea a book we read i my parents made us all read to kill a mockingbird all at the same time Yay. and so if we'd have to bring that up just what we thought of the book and then you'd have to defend your point and my parents just kind of thought taught not through um Kind of not explicitly, but through their example, that you have to, this is my point, here is my evidence, and then kind of close out your comments. So we were taught from a young age that you have to, this is what I think, and then to counter, you'd have to say, well, I agree with that or I disagree with that, and then explain why. And then just kind of this whole rhythm of how to create this dialogue that I don't think a lot of people have. But I was lucky enough to grow up where that just, you had to, otherwise you. Survival of the fittest. You wouldn't get hurt.
0: <laughs> yeah, we thought survival was passing the mass po- mashed potatoes, right? Like, please pass the mashed potatoes, and we'd have to be like, "Why?" Because they're delicious, <laughs> and I want them before they're all gone. Yeah, and <laughs> be like, "Okay." <laughs> so, yeah,
2: that's kind of a tough life for you. No, it was good. I I enjoyed it. My parents also, um, they would never let us get away with an idea unless we had evidence, which I, I mentioned earlier. But if we said something like, I just remember coming home and I was really frustrated with some teacher in high school. I was like, sat down on the table. I'm like, I just, this teacher makes me so angry and it's just dumb. And my mom's like, no. <laughs> She's like, well, why? Or And then she'd start playing devil's advocate. She'd take the opposite side of me. And I was like, mom, I just want you to listen right now and to sympathize and say I'm right. But I would never get away with that when I was young. So there was kind of a lot you had to kind of disagree You had to learn how to be comfortable disagreeing with other people because my parents would not, they would stand true to their points and they wouldn't let you get away with just saying, this is how I feel. You'd have to provide some sort of evidence.
0: you have way less world wars if people taught their kids to do that.
2: (laughs) I agree. It would be good. I actually pulled an article by Dr. Suzanne Heitler and it was on a, um, her blog on psychology today, and she talks about the art of disagreeing. Because I think a lot of times when you're having a discussion, you, whenever conflict arises, you, we immediately associate conflict equals bad, which I don't think that's always the case. Sometimes I think conflict can be the most constructive part of a conversation, of a relationship, and by resolving that conflict or working through that conflict, you're going to discover something better than you would have otherwise. And so she talks about the, the she has a formula for disagreeing agreeably. How to use a disagreement to validate your points and to move the conversation forward without um, without just creating an argument in essence. So she says first you have to agree with what they said. You say, Yes, I agree with, and then say something about the statement that they made that you did agree with. It doesn't have to be their whole statement, just say, you no, know, I agree with. This part, And then you have to – she calls it augment. You sp- sp- pick a specific point and then you elaborate on it, kind of your opinion on that specific point with which the, you both agree on. And then you have to add. And that's where the interesting thing comes in because she says if you, you can't contradict if you want it to be super effective. If you, what, you want you, them to be open. Yeah. yeah. So you can't say, well, while I think that this is different or you can't say – she says to avoid the word but – so you don't say, well, yes. that's not true, but she, <laughs> she says, um, and in contrast is a phrase that she says to use, or you add to that by layering your opinion on that, but in, that avoids the conflict, but then it moves the conversation forward because you are bringing in new points to the table. You're not creating the conflict, you're just disagreeing, and by doing so, bringing new points in and a constructive point of view.
0: I love that. I use that with my kids all the time. Yeah, so I must have read her blog.
2: Agree, augment, and add. That's her formula.
0: Agree. So for example, we have like a minute before we go to break, before our guest comes. You would say, I, 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 I like what you said about this, and um, I think it's perfectly acceptable to do that. And then in contrast, have you thought of this rather than saying, yeah. So it would feel like you're having a discussion rather than an argument. Is that what you yeah, say? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Again, more world peace if we all did that at the dinner table. All right, you're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Up next, we have our guest, Dr. Gary Gennard. He is going to talk to us about public speaking and public communications and uh, his weekly blog, uh, Speak for Success. We'll be right back with more on The Matt Townsend Show after this right here on BYU Radio.
7: If you had the chance to travel the globe every week, where would you go? Cancun? Niagara Falls? What about Yellowstone? That's I, what I'm talking about. There's places that you go. For example, I like Boise, Idaho. Yes. But I love Hawaii. All right? So anything like that? Because there's that some places that are just so much better than others. Let's be honest. Be sure to catch Eric and his crew weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 7 Mountain, here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
1: This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A leaked internal memo from the State Department is revealing numerous possible misconducts by officials from the department while it was headed by Hillary Clinton. The alleged wrongdoings include sex scandals and thwarted investigations. The American Civil Liberties Union announced today it is suing the national government to change the constitutionality of the NSA's telephone surveillance programs, arguing they violate rights to privacy and free speech. Since the news of the NSA surveillance programs hit national headlines, sales of George Orwell's 1984 have skyrocketed. The book, which describes a totalian surveillance state, is now on Amazon.com's movers and shakers list. Sales are literally up by thousands of percent. An immigration reform bill will now move on to debate on the Senate floor after a vote today showed overwhelming support for the measure to proceed. Republicans, however, are still calling for tighter border security before giving their full support. New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is unveiling a $20 billion plan to protect the city from future storms. The proposed precautions include temporary flood walls and removable panels with new dunes, levees and concrete bulkheads as well. In world news, riot police in Turkey battled protesters for control of a main square in Istanbul this evening, just hours after the country's prime minister called for an immediate end to the 10 days of protests. Russian leaders say they will likely be welcoming to NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden. Government spokesmen have even compared Snowden to WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange and called them both human rights activists. And in tech news, Sony is coming out swinging in the battle for holiday shoppers' cash, pricing the new PlayStation 4 system $100 below Microsoft's new Xbox One. That's the news to half past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall.
0: Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt is on vacation in San Diego, having a great time, we hope. And I'm here, Kim Power Stilson. I usually do the Talk Worthy Radio Show right here on BYU Radio. I'm happy to fill in and work with this great team. We're going to talk about the fear of public speaking, communication, communications in a way to have better communication, whether you are public speaking or whether you're stuck in an elevator with someone that you don't know. We have Dr. Gary Gennard here, and he is the author of a book uh, that's called, several books, a book, How to Give a Speech and Fearless Speaking, The Proven Method for Overcoming Speech Anxiety and Presenting with Confidence. He is He's also a weekly blogger for speak, uh, speak for Success. And on that blog, I took a look at it today. It covers topics ranging from leadership communication to stage fright, persuasion, body language, voice improvement, and influencing stakeholders, which is obviously a, a very worthwhile book. Um, pursuit when you are speaking in front of large crowds or important decision-making crowds. Fun thing is he's also an an actor from the Weber Douglas Academy of Dramatic Art in London. He holds a PhD in theater from Tufts University in Massachusetts, and it's so exciting to have him here. He's served on the faculty of Harvard and Tufts and uh, Bentley University, Emerson College, and the University of Illinois. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Gennard.
8: Kim, hi, and thank you so much for having me on. You know, thank you
0: for coming. It makes me a little nervous to speak in front of someone who's excellent at speaking.
8: (laughs) I get that at parties. (laughs) When people have to, or even conferences I go to or meetings, sometimes people will go around the you know, around the room and people will say things. And someone often says, gee, I'm a little bit nervous saying anything. I know we have a speech coach sitting here, but I don't bite.
0: You don't bite. Well, I'd <laughs> love to know, you know, for our audience to connect with them. And I know you've been on the show before with Matt, but I, I love to hear about the, you know, the inner you, right? Was there ever a time you were afraid or can you share one of those stories to help us connect to that so we're not so afraid to to unimpress you?
8: Oh, sure. You know, I was listening to your show earlier today before it was time for me to come on, and I was thinking that I still get nervous public speaking, and it's not something that, you, that disappears. In fact, it's often beneficial because it gets you psyched up for the big game, and it makes you do your homework because you don't want to look silly up there. And I remember the, fir- the very first time that I gave a public performance. I was nine years old. And I was in the All City Boys Chorus, which was in the town in Massachusetts, the city in Massachusetts that I lived in and grew up in. And I was lucky enough to be chosen to give a solo at nine years old. And there were about a thousand people in the audience. So it was really a baptism by fire. And it was my turn, and I got up and started to sing. And in the middle of what I was singing, I suddenly had to swallow Because I was nervous, and I just went in the middle of what I was singing, and that was, like, after that, everything was downhill. (laughs) Everything was easier after that.
0: Well, I love, I love sharing that. And that. So is that a natural reaction to being nervous, just having to swallow? I've seen people do it a lot when speaking.
8: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. At, at Public Speaking International, my company, we do a lot of work with people who have fear of public speaking. And our product is called Fearless Speaking, which is the, the name of my book, as you mentioned a, a moment ago. And it's interesting because people some, some of the things that people experience are different from other people and some of the things are the same and dryness is is a um, a reaction that's common for a lot of people and other people have to swallow and some people uh, have a, a shaky voice other people get a little sick to the stomach other people have anticipatory anxiety which disappears when it's time for them to speak and for some others, it only begins when they're about to speak or actually start to speak, and the worst time for them is when they're actually speaking. So it does differ uh, from person to person, and, and we like to work on a one-on-one basis because we find that it's just not so much of an, a one-size-fits-all r- response.
0: Well, will you share with us maybe the, the worst habit um, or the, one, the worst habit you've ever seen and then perhaps the most common?
8: well I, I think the the I think they're actually the same and and the re, what is the worst thing that we can go through and we do it to ourselves is to put ourselves in the center of things and believe that people are judging us based on our performance and really as as you think in your own experience it, how do you feel when you are in an audience and you see someone who's nervous in speaking? You don't look at them and think, "Well, obviously they don't know what they're talking about, so I'm not going to listen." I think most of us have the response that we have empathy and sympathy for that person, and we think, "Oh my goodness, look at that poor person who's nervous," and I understand exactly why because I I know that. Public speaking is nerve-wracking, and I'd be nervous up there, too. If anything, I think people are have a tendency to reach out to us and, and want to help us rather than be against us. But we feel because the speaking situation is so anxiety-provoking, we believe that people are watching us and judging us based on the, the nervousness they're seeing, and, and they're not being sympathetic to us. And, and that actually is... Damaging for two reasons. One is it takes our mind off where it needs to be, which is our message and getting it across to those people. But it also is doing something which is very damaging, which is putting ourselves in the center of everything. And, and in the work that I do with clients, I have, uh, I have some tough love messages. And I, I talk about the fact that public speaking can be a narcissistic activity if you're doing that. Well,
0: that makes sense because you are there to deliver a message, and and I read something about you saying, you know, staying focused and mindful and on message would help alleviate a lot of those conditions which which make you appear nervous.
8: Sure, that's actually one of the chapters uh, in in the book, <laughs> and what I mean by that is we have some exercises for what I call focused relaxation some specific ways to stay focused and present when speaking, because one of the things that happens in speech anxiety and extreme nervousness about public speaking is that your focus becomes fractured. And when we're speaking in public, it's it's usually a pretty high-stakes situation, and what we need more than anything is to stay completely focused because the the temptation is to be pulled off that focus and start to think about ourselves and how nervous we feel so if we're going to be effective we really need to be highly focused and that means being aware and doing some of the things that will help you stay focused rather than that focus being fractured and the best thing that you can do and this is generally speaking in terms of all public speaking where anxiety is concerned is breathe it, it sounds simple but one of the things that is, uh, one of the things that happens most dramatically when we have extreme nervousness is that our breathing is thrown off and if you think about how you feel if you're getting very very nervous starting to get panicked we start to breathe very rapidly and shallowly And no one could feel centered and focused if that's what you're feeling. So if you can, as performers, like actors, which is what I used to be, have a saying, and that is, if you're on top of your breathing, you have a chance to give a good performance. And if you're not on top of your breathing, there's no chance for that. So breathing is one of the areas that most quickly, most easily, and uh, most dramatically can help anyone if they're experiencing either anxiety or nervousness in the actual moment of public speaking.
0: So how do you, do, I mean, can you give us an example of how you do that? Let's say you're going up to the podium, your heart's racing, your hands are shaking. Are there some tips you can share for getting back to that being on top of the breathing?
8: Yes, for one thing if your hands are shaking I would recommend not holding notes. I mean that 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 sounds like a simple thing but you you were talking earlier about you know, shaking and whether the speaker is conscious of it or not. And so one of the things I would say is is put those notes down on, on the table or the lectern so that so that people don't see that. I think when you get up in front of people, a couple of the things that you can do that will immediately make you feel more at ease and more in control of the speaking situation is to set your feet, what in the theater we call being grounded, because we actually get our energy from the earth and through the earth, the floor that we're standing on. And when we get nervous, we start to feel like we don't have any grounding, like we're not stable. Uh, So setting your feet at w- the width of armpit or shoulder width about that width is a way for you to feel like you're secure and more in control physically and then remind yourself to take usually slower and deeper breaths than you are experiencing at that moment because as i say you you usually have a tendency to speak uh, to breathe rapidly and more shallowly so i recommend to trainees and clients that they actually write at the top of their sheet of notes or their manuscript breathe in big capital letters and circle it and put an exclamation point if you want because of course the audience isn't seeing your notes and they can't see that you're you're writing that down but it's a reminder that this is a way to quickly get things back under control and. Incidentally, Kim, the other thing that happens at about the same time that we begin to breathe more rapidly and shallowly is our heart rate speeds up. And we all know that, that when we start to get nervous, we can feel that, that heart racing, sometimes pounding in our chest. And the other thing that deeper and slower breathing is allows you to do is to oxygenate the heart so it feels like it's getting the complement of oxygen that it needs to send out throughout the body. So the heart has a tendency to slow down, and this is another big feeling that helps us feel in control rather than out of control.
0: I love that. I, I actually have to speak to a group this week, and I know one thing I do is I pace. And so you're saying start off being grounded and breathing. And I could, I could already feel as you were speaking and, and sharing that, that, I, that my heart rate was going down. And I was, you know, I could feel the difference of just doing those simple actions. I think they would really help me.
8: Well, sure. And pacing in itself might have a tendency to make you feel nervous. You know, the one of the most interesting aspects of speaking dynamically is to use the body and we we have a tendency to become talking heads we we live in our heads because that's where the content exists that's where the thinking exists and we think that if if we are focused on the content and just get it across people will respond well and do what we want them to do with that information but the sheer delivery of information is often not so interesting. And we are forgetting an extremely important part of this equation, which all performers know, and that is that the body is a terrific and essential tool of communication. And so when we're doing things physically, when we're speaking in public that are working against us, of course we're going to feel that things are not what they should be, and we're also not helping the audience by showing them something visually that they can respond to, which makes what we're saying that much more interesting. And one of the things that I've already mentioned, one of the the, um, things that you can do is stand and be secure and be uh, centered. And the other is rather than pacing or wandering without any kind of definition to it, take one place in the stage. Maybe a little bit apart from the lectern if you have to stand behind that lectern or podium, but uh, take a spot, stand there, don't move around, and talk about the one point you're making and gesture naturally. You don't have to stand stock still. And then maybe take a step or two, depending upon the size of your audience. Might only be a step to the other side and begin point number two, and then gesture naturally, and you will feel secure. The audience will see a little bit of visual variety, and there's other, another interesting component of this, you will be helping them actually retain what you're saying because you have, let's say you have three points, you've stood in three different places on stage, and the audience can retain each of those points much more clearly than if you were pacing back and forth as you were saying them, or just wandering aimlessly without any particular spot that you're stopping on. All In those situations, those three points just become a little bit lost in all the movement, and it makes it a little more difficult for the audience. So if you use the body creatively while you speak and consciously, then you're going to be making things easier for both yourself in terms of speech anxiety and just being a better and more influential speaker, and in terms of helping the audience as well.
0: Dr. Gary Gennard, thank you so much. That was excellent advice. When we come back from our break, we're going to talk with you more about now we've got the physical part. We're not nervous. Talk about connecting with their audiences and gaining influence. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking to Dr. Gary Gennard. We'll be back with more after this.
6: Red Wine Rover, come on over. How a robotic rover got into the wine business.
7: This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future.
6: At NASA, most rover talk is about Mars or the moon, or other planets, but rovers have plenty of earthbound applications as well. One of the more nouvelle jobs for these guys is found in French wine grape orchards. The vine growers want to suppress weed growth around their vines to keep the plants healthy, but obviously using herbicides is not ideal for several reasons. Conventional mowers would scar up too many vines, even if they could fit in the spaces close to the trunks. Hiring humans to hand-trim the weeds is just not affordable either. Rovers to the rescue! A French company responded with a micro-mowing robot that's 100% solar-powered and can keep an orchard's open ground as trimmed as a putting green. Similar to how a robot vacuum cleaner tidies up in a house, a vine rover stays in an area defined by GPS coordinates and controlled through a smartphone app. The robo-mowers have guards and bumpers to prevent whacking the vines, and they reduce the expense and pollution from conventional mowing or herbicide application. For Innovation Now, I'm Buddy Rubino. A la vetre.
7: Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. The focus is on the family with Richard and Linda Eyer. During their show, Iyer's on the Road, they discuss the joys and hardships
6: of parenting in the modern world.
7: There's such a danger for parents of all ages, really,
8: to live either in the past or in the future. And the tragedy of that is that every day in parenting is precious if we learn to see it as such.
6: Iyer's on the Road airs Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Only here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
0: Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt with the Matt Townsend Show team while he's gone on vacation. With us today, we have Dr. Gary Gennard, and we've been talking about public speaking and effective communication. Now, Dr. Gary Gennard is a former stage actor. He has um, owns the company Public Speaking International. He's a weekly blogger and the author of How to Give a Speech and Fearless Speaking, The Proven Method for Overcoming Speech Anxiety and Presenting with Confidence. We have him here. We've been talking about what you do when you're a little nervous. We talked about planting our feet, breathing, and moving a step at a time when we're uh, sharing points across the stage, which I'm going to do, and I'm going to report back because I think that's excellent advice. Now I was hoping we could talk about... You know, once you're up there, once you're at the lectern, what do you – how do you connect with your audience? Where do you start?
8: Well, Kim, great question and one that's close to my heart because it's all about effective performance. And we have learned that the beginning and the end of a presentation are particularly important because of two concepts known as primacy and recency. Primacy, you can hear that word prime in there, and it means first – which means that an audience re- retains best what they experience first in your speech or presentation and and recency recent is the word there means that an audience strongly retains what they experience last in your presentation so m- most people are pretty good at the body of their presentation but they're most nervous at the exact moment that they, the audience is paying maximum attention and may be most affected by what that person is saying and showing. So we really need to spend some some uh, time thinking about how we introduce our talk and conclude it. So the introduction and the conclusion are really important and I talk about using what I call grabber at the beginning, what some people call a hook, same thing, and a clincher at the end. And there are certain devices, rhetorical devices or approaches that people use, which are particularly effective in grabbing an audience's attention and getting them with you. And not so incidentally, also reducing the anxiety that you're feeling because you can see that people are really uh, listening and interested in what you are saying to them. Would you like to know what some of those grabbers are? Love to. Okay. Well, there's uh, I have a list of them, but this is not a an exhaustive list. And one of the things I say to clients is that you can come up with something yourself based on who your audience is, what you talk about, what your expertise is, what your industry is, and you may come up with something that's just as good or even better than any of these. But you have heard and uh, experienced this many times in the speeches and presentations that you've listened to, and you've probably, all of us have used some of these ourselves. So here are some of them. I think that the two, the, the most effective in my mind, are a question, and that can be rhetorical or not, you might actually want an answer, and a story. As soon as we tell a story, people just respond immediately. And one of the things I tell clients is don't introduce the introduction. In other words, don't say, I'd like to start out with a story and then tell the story. If you just say, hi everybody, greet your audience, and then immediately start with the story, people will be riveted because we all respond in great ways to stories. Some of the others, statistics, catchy fact, startling statement, an intriguing challenge you pose for the audience, quotation, expert testimony, a personal anecdote, a client testimonial or endorsement, scientific data, a visual. Here's an interesting one, humor. Now, there's a difference between humor and a joke, and one of the most damaging pieces of advice I think that people have gotten as in, in classes and training and public speaking is that you should always start out with a joke to get the audience on your side. But the truth is jokes are hard to tell if you're not a stand-up comic. And you need timing and you need lots of other uh, Techniques that you may not have as a speaker, and anyway, your job is not to make people laugh. Usually, it's to tell them something that they can benefit from, and if you can bring in humor, then so much the better. As I say to people, you can usually find humor anywhere, it's usually all around you. You just need to recognize it and pick it up off the ground, as I say. And oftentimes at a conference or a meeting that you're speaking at, someone may say something just before you go up to speak, which is quite interesting and, oh, and kind of funny. And to be able to use that in your, as you open your talk is a very effective way to start.
0: I love that because I think... I can think back to my public speaking classes and they said start, start with a joke. Stories and not explaining what you're going to do are something too that I see that you're saying differently. Uh, we were just discussing this uh, in preparation for your show and a lot of people say, well now I'm going to start and now I'm going to tell you a joke and now I'm going to show you these slides and mm-hmm. then they read the slides.
8: Yeah, there's really no need to do all that. I call it throat clearing. And another thing that's interesting about paying attention to the people you're speaking, uh, going to be speaking to at a conference, say, is that, first of all, you get to meet a few of them, which means they're not strangers when you talk, Which and that's one thing that can help reduce your anxiety. And the other is you're really getting on that wavelength that that's a good idea to be on, which is you're living in their world, talking to them, having conversations with them, rather than sitting or standing and thinking oh my god i'm about to go on no, i'm getting nervous it's it's coming it's almost here you know I, I had a client who came to work with me for fear of public speaking and this gentleman didn't do a lot of speaking to the whole company only a, a very little bit every month but he was very anxious about it for most of the time when he was about to get up and you know, talk, I mean, for days and weeks beforehand. And one of the the tricks that he decided worked for him was he would ask his assistant to ask him something that needed his attention just before he was about to speak, like just a couple of minutes before he was about to speak, because he realized this distracted him. Otherwise he would be standing there stewing in his nervousness and thinking, oh, here it comes, but his assistant would say, hey, Joe, um, what about this? You didn't sign this letter. And should we get back to this gentleman? And he would focus on that for a few minutes. And lo and behold, he would forget to be nervous. And then it would be time for him to speak. And it was very helpful to him.
0: I love that. Have you ever had, um, what is your advice on this? I'm sure you've had this. But people are in the middle of speaking or starting and forget, completely go blank.
8: Mm. Yes, this is a very, very difficult area in overcoming speech anxiety. Uh, I, I hear this from clients who say just what you said, Kim, they say, you know, I have everything prepared. It's, it's, it's just the way I want to say it. And then I get up and I look at the audience and everything flies out of my head. And some of these clients are speaking on scientific topics. So you can imagine it's probably not a good idea to try to wing something if you have to give scientific data to back up what you're saying. So one of the things I talk to them about, and and this is an important point, is that I often speak to clients about the fact that they're not supposed to be an excellent speaker. They don't need to be an excellent speaker. They need to be a good office manager or lawyer or butcher baker candlestick maker whatever it is and we expect them to be able to speak well about whatever it is that they're expert on but if they're not motivational speakers or talk show host or something like that they don't really need to reach that level of high excellence which is which is helping make things difficult for them because they're trying to attain something that's just making them very nervous and I, i also remind them that the audience doesn't know if you forget something. They don't know if you give exactly the talk that you wanted to give word for word. And the reason is because you have spent all the time preparing and polishing what you're about to say, and you want it to be just precisely right because you know this is exactly the way you want to say it. But the audience couldn't care less if you say something exactly the way you want to say it. What they are concerned about is that you reach them and touch them and move them. And for that to happen, you had better be paying attention to what's happening in the room rather than everything that you prepared beautifully and carefully beforehand. So as I, as I say to the people I work with, you should probably spend less time on your content because you're most likely already an expert on your content and more time getting comfortable standing and talking to a room full of people, because that's what you do in public speaking. And that's what's going to allow you to be an effective person, an effective speaker who reaches people, has rapport with them, and can move them and change their lives because of it.
0: Excellent advice. We're listening to Dr. Gary Gennard. We've got to go to a break, but when we get back, we're going to talk about that grabber and then what happens if we have a panic attack right in the middle of our communications. Uh, You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson. We're right here on BYU Radio. We'll be right back.
5: I think that we need to draw these connections every single day.
0: Get
7: your
2: day started off on the right foot. The Morning Show with Marcus Smith. Weekdays on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good.
3: KBYU FM HD2 Provo.
1: This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The Senate easily voted to move forward with formal debate on an immigration reform bill which could provide citizenship to the over 11 million undocumented immigrants currently living in the U.S. However, Republicans still want tighter border security before giving final approval. A leaked internal memo from the State Department is revealing numerous possible misconducts by officials from the department while it was headed by Hillary Clinton. The alleged wrongdoings include sex scandals and thwarted investigations. The American Civil Liberties Union announced today it is suing the national government to change the constitutionality of the NSA's telephone surveillance programs, arguing they violate rights to privacy and free speech. As the NSA scandal continues to grow, sales of George Orwell's novel 1984 have skyrocketed. The book, which depicts a dystopian society ruled by a totalitarian surveillance state, has even been added to Amazon.com's movers and shakers list. New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is unveiling a $20 billion plan to protect the city from future storms. The proposed precautions include temporary flood walls with removable panels and new dunes, levees and concrete bulkheads. In world news, riot police in Turkey battled protesters for control of a main square in Istanbul this evening, just hours after the country's prime minister called for an immediate end to the 10 days of protests. Russian leaders say they will likely be welcoming to NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden if he decides to take refuge there. Government spokesmen have even compared Snowden to WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange and called them both human rights activists. And in tech news, Sony is coming out swinging in the battle for holiday shoppers' cash, pricing the new PlayStation 4 $100 below Microsoft's new Xbox One. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall
0: and welcome back to the matt townsend show kim power stilson filling in for matt while he's out of town we have dr gary Gennard, and we've been talking about public speaking and communications and dr Gennard, i find your your Direction, your suggestions, riveting in that they're fresh. I haven't heard these before and have been public speaking forever. So thank you for joining us. Thank
8: you very much. Well, I think, Kim, that it is related to uh, my former career as an actor. And everything I do, I'm not the only one in the country doing this, but everything I do is based in performance because actors understand how to move an audience and they understand what the performance dynamic is all about. And as as I say all the time, we've, we've got a lot of speakers simply trying to deliver information and not enough speakers thinking, how do I perform for this audience and move them, take them where I want them to go, which is what both actors and public speakers need to do and what creates an effective uh, appearance and performance for everyone concerned.
0: I love that. And, you know... Having you speak, you've referenced being an uh, an actor a couple times now, and I'm just wondering, can you give us an idea what roles you played, just for fun?
8: Oh, sure. I trained both here in the U.S. and at the Weber-Douglas Academy of Dramatic Art in London, so a lot of what I did, especially in training in London, was Shakespeare, and when I moved to New York, I did a lot of Shakespeare, and I was a stage actor. I didn't do television or film. And I've done a lot of the great Shakespearean roles. I've played Macbeth. I've played Richard III. I've played in uh, the Henry IV uh, plays. Uh, I've played in The House of Blue Leaves, which is a very well-known play by John Guare. And he's still a a very active playwright. And... uh, Different uh, different roles in some period pieces, some historical plays, some modern plays, and musicals too. I used to uh, I used to sing and uh, have done have acted in Fiddler on the Roof and Carousel and um, oh some some other musicals if I were to think of uh, of them.
0: So and and where do you live now? May I ask? Yes, I live in Boston,
8: and we're located in Boston. I'm originally from Massachusetts, and uh, when I left the theater, when I left New York, I came back to Massachusetts where, it, when I got my Ph.D. in theater at Tufts, and then uh, started Public Speaking International and have been working with people on the front lines of uh, speaking and the need to influence people every day, and I love it because it allows me to still work in performance. I'm helping people with their performance, which I love, and when I give full-day trainings, I'm on stage all day, so I'm having a blast still. It sounds
0: like it. Now, I have to ask this question because... uh, having I actually had to come to Boston to give a speak when I was work, uh, a speech when I was working with Lycos tell me what your favorite food in Boston is
8: Oh well uh, you know Boston is famous for its seafood of course we're we're right on the ocean and and I'm a big lover of seafood and um, I think that a nice piece of fish if it's broiled and just maybe with a little seasoning on it and some fresh vegetables is perfect.
0: Okay, now we're all hungry. What about London? <laughs> favorite food in London, in contrast?
8: Well, uh, does one have a favorite food in London? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, London is famous for its not-so-fabulous uh, uh, cuisine. But, uh, you know, one of the lovely things about London is, is a a tradition that we have, especially here in New England, and that's afternoon tea. You know, tea means something different in London than it does here. High tea, for instance, doesn't mean a fancy get-together, as some people think it does in America. It simply means a meal, a light meal, that's around 8 in the evening. Tea time is at 4 p.m., and high tea means a later tea with a small meal as part of it. But I think that one thing that the the British do to perfection is the serving of tea and the uh, tea sets and the the foods and the small sandwiches that go along with it. And, of course, in this country we can see many of the the hotels have afternoon teas, and it's just a lovely tradition. So I think I enjoyed that in London more than anything else as far as cuisine.
0: Well, I, I just wanted a little insight into your personal taste. You seems like it seems like you're just perfect. So, <laughs> it's fun to know a little a bit more about authors and uh, people that have achieved a degree of excellence in their life. So, now going back to topic, what about the grabber at the end? We talked about having you know the first the attention getter could be a story <laughs> or an anecdote or a catchy fact. The end. How do we end so that we have the the recency you spoke of earlier.
8: Yes, yes. Well, good memory. Thank you. Well, it's interesting, and that's a lot easier than you may think, because the same devices, the same approaches that work as a grabber work equally well as a clincher. So that if you began with a story, you might end with a quotation. If you started out with a visual, you might end with a expert testimony. So any of those that I mentioned in the beginning can also work in the end. Now one particularly elegant way to do this, you don't have to do it this way, is to start out with a story that also carries over until the end or a you might mention someone quoting them in the beginning and then you might mention them in the end as well. One interesting way to grab people's attention and keep them with you is to give them a story, but don't resolve it Have them thinking the entire time you're talking well, what happened? what happened to that person? For instance, if you were uh, if you were a physician or uh, a lawyer or uh, a negotiator, you may start out with a case study and give your audience the the basis of what, you, what that's, that story is all about and tell them something about what went on but not tell them what eventually happened and hold that in reserve and you can be pretty sure that as you're talking provided that the body of your presentation is interesting as well people will be interested in what you're talking about and all the time they won't, they won't leave mentally they won't check out because they want to know what happened to that person or the people in the story and they're going to stay with you it's a particularly effective way to keep people engaged all the way through and of course that's critically important because of those concepts of primacy and recency we don't want to start out strong and then kind of let the in people's attention and interest kind of filter away because we're just not that interesting our topics not that interesting we need to keep people engaged from the moment we open our mouth to the moment we close it at the end so that that beginning way that we launch this presentation and the vivid and memorable thing that we say at the end which is what i say to people that they should be doing is going to keep people engaged throughout and Allow what you say to resonate in their mind after you finish speaking. Now, if you do something like this, if you follow this way of speaking, the chances are very good that you're going to be much less prone to a high level of anxiety, which is what we've been talking about, because to do this well, you have to pay a lot of attention to what's going on in that room and how you're audience is receiving what you're saying and whether they're with you. That means you don't really have the time or the mental space to be focusing on yourself, which is, of course, exactly what you don't want to do anyway.
0: When you spoke about that earlier, you called it tough love.
8: Yes. And yes. And in fact, I have a few tough love messages for uh, people that I uh, train and coach. And most of the time, I don't tell them this right away. I, I, don't, I don't lead with it because I think that people who are coming for some help with public speaking anxiety don't need to be told right up front, hey you're, you're just being a narcissist here. But as I, through the years as I worked with people, I, I started to realize this really is what's going on because we're doing something that's going to make it almost impossible for us to accomplish what we want to accomplish which is reach and influence people because we're focused on ourselves we put ourselves as the center of the universe and if that's what we're focusing on because we're thinking oh i hate this i'm so nervous look at them they don't like me they <laughs> they they think i'm not good at this i'm going to forget what i'm saying look at how my hands are shaking that's really focusing on ourselves instead of the people that we're trying to reach, which simply makes things more, uh, more difficult for us. So I have four tough love messages that I tell people when I finally get to the point where I'm saying, you know what, this is really, there's some narcissism going on here and I want, I want you to get over that because once you do, you're going to feel much better and everything's going to be easier for you and you're going to be a much more dynamic and influential speaker. So my four messages are, One is get over yourself. The public speaking situation isn't about you. And that's the second one. Uh, People are giving their valuable time to listen to this speech or presentation. And and really, that's what they're there for. The third is that people don't care about you. And that may seem a little harsh at first, but it's actually good news. Because it means that people aren't dissecting you and thinking, oh, look at her. Uh, she's no good, I don't like her, she's not a good speaker. They're genuinely interested in what you're there to say, and they want to get something out of it. They they want their time to be well spent. And the fourth is be a professional. Whether you're doing this as a professional or even as a hobby, the idea here is you've been asked to speak because you know something about this topic and the organizers or your boss thought that you were going to be a good person to say it. So just get over the fact, stop boo-hooing, and get up there and do your job because people are depending upon you.
0: Excellent advice. Now, we only have a few minutes left, uh, Dr. Gennard, but I want to ask about the three escape hatches. Let's say, you know, with every good intent, you go up there and do your best, and then you just have a little breakdown. Um, what are those escape hatches?
8: Well, that's. this is an important area, I think, because... Nervousness and anticipatory anxiety and even feeling a little off your game when you're presenting is one thing. But if you are facing a full-fledged panic attack so that you really want to just escape the speaking situation. And I do have clients who said, you know, I've come to you because I've I've been giving a presentation and I've just stopped and said, excuse me, and left the room. And everybody knows what's going on, and, of course, that's just not a very good situation. And when we're facing a situation like this, when we're actually having a panic, we need something that we can do right there. And although these are not easy fixes, I've come up with what I'm calling the three escape hatches because I think they are good techniques to use in what is admittedly a desperate situation. So my first escape hatch, escape hatch is called The Only Way Out Is Through. And the idea behind this, Kim, is that what is really creating a conflict in you as you're speaking is the desire to escape from that audience, but you're really there to reach that audience. So you can't do what you want to do and it's creating a tremendous conflict in you. So my idea is instead of trying to run away from the audience, go in the opposite direction. In other words, look at that audience, think about them, ask yourself what they're here for, and then move toward them. And that might be literally moving toward them, but it it certainly is uh, figuratively as well. Don't try to escape from that audience. Accept the fact that these are the people that you're here. They want something from you. They need something from you. Let it happen. Talk to them. I always talk to clients about not giving a presentation with a capital P or a speech with a capital S. I say talk to people with a small T. So that's escape hatch one.
0: And we're and unfortunately, we're, we're kind of out of time. Can we just do them in maybe 30 seconds? Would that be okay? Oh, the sure, next yes. Sorry about that. The
8: second, the, the second escape hatch is move. And that's it. Use movement because you want to dissipate some of the nervous energy inside you. And the third is become aware of your body. Stop trying to speak in a vacuum. Feel what's happening in your body, where your tension is, Uh, how you're energized, feel the energy in you, and allow that energy to flow through you and then out toward your audience. Those are the three escape hatches. And as I say, you can use one of them or two or even three of them in the moment when there's just nothing else you can do but escape, which is what, of course, you don't want to do.
0: Excellent advice from Dr. Gary Gennard, and he is the founder of the Public Speaking International. What's your website, please, Gary?
8: That is publicspeakinginternational.com or pubspeak.com.
0: Pubspeak.com. And again, he's also written the book Fearless Speaking, The Proven Method for Overcoming Speech Anxiety and Presenting with Confidence. Thank you so much for being on the Matt Townsend Show. We've really enjoyed your advice.
8: Well, Kim, it's been a pleasure to meet you over the air and to talk with you. And uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Well, next time we're in Boston, we'll pop by for some nice fresh fish.
8: (laughs) Okay.
0: Please do. All right. Thank you so much. This is the Matt Townsend Show, where you need to go to a quick break right here on BYU Radio.
6: What does lightning have in common with the most energetic events in the universe? The Fermi Satellite takes a peek.
7: This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future.
6: It's not often that a piece of hardware gets better after you launch it into space, but that's exactly what happened with NASA's Fermi Gamma Ray Space Telescope. Launched in 2008, Fermi's job is to examine pulsars, supernova remnants, and other high-energy phenomena in deep space, but also has an instrument for detecting bursts of gamma radiation. Gamma rays are an extremely powerful form of radiation, normally associated with radioactive decay. But you can also find them in some really powerful thunderstorms, where terrestrial gamma-ray flashes are detected above some strong lightning, driven by the static charge of the storm clouds. Fermi's detector got some remote software tweaks in how it detects these TGFs, and with new processing techniques on Earth, it was able to detect hundreds more less powerful bursts this past year better than when it was new. What's been discovered by comparing the gamma bursts and timing the lightning is that while lightning, of course, makes plenty of radio static on its own, gamma ray flashes also make their own separate radio noise as they form, something we never knew before. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino.
7: Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us.
0: Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We've just spoken with Dr. Gary Gennard about public speaking and great conversations and way to handle your fear when you get up to speak in front of a crowd. Bryce, of course, has some thoughts for us about public speaking, so we're going to listen to those now.
3: Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is the Bryce is Right. When you speak to an audience, there's a lot of things you can do wrong. But there are a few things that you'll think you're doing right, but in reality, you're doing it very, very wrong. First thing you can do wrong is say, thank you for that introduction, as if our time wasn't already wasted by the introduction. We probably already know who you are, and if we don't, we'll leave that up to you. But no, you're right, let's just ruminate on that introduction for a little while. Next wrong move can be accomplished by thanking the previous speaker. They were either good or they weren't, we already know. Get on with it. Next wrong move on my list, starting off by saying I'm going to talk about whatever the topic is. Two reasons this is bad. Either we already know what you're going to speak about, or if it's a well-designed speech, we'll figure it out. Or who knows, maybe in the process some other topic will emerge that'll be just what the audience needs. Or you can really dig your grave by saying Webster's Dictionary defines my topic as... Yeah, that's the moment where I look at the time, figure out how long this is going to be, decide if it's worth it to stay. If for some reason I won't leave, then I'll whip out my phone and distract myself until you're finished. Next bad call, opening with a joke. Don't ever do this, primarily because most of us are bad at telling jokes. And normally we come up with these jokes the night before when we're finishing prep and it's like one in the morning. And as we all know, some things are only funny when you get into that slap happy hour. I promise the next day at 5 p.m., You won't even think it's funny. As a society, once we realized you can be both entertaining and professional, the trope of starting with a joke served to entertain the audience, wake them up, and help you get over your initial jitters before you get into whatever it is you're supposed to be getting into. The right way to start would be to, I don't know, just start? Statistics are a good way to open, people like them. Or start with a relevant, funny story from your life. Once again, keep it short, but something personal will be nice for the audience, and it'll be easy for you to tell, and it'll help get things flowing. And while I'm thinking about it, When it comes to stories, don't lie to us. Long story short means it should be short, not just less long. In stand-up comedy, these are known as top-heavy jokes. Audiences don't like it when you spend a whole six minutes setting up for just a one-liner because, well, that's always a disappointment. Or finally, the worst thing you can do is take too long. What's the deal with this? Are we suddenly filibustering? If you were slated for an hour, and at this point it's been an hour, and I don't get the feeling that you're wrapping up, you've officially started wasting my time. And that bothers me. I can always make more money, but I can't make more time. I waste plenty of it on my own, and I certainly do not need your help. So please, if you're going to do some public speaking, respect your audience. And please don't waste our time. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome.
0: (laughs) Okay, Bryce, you were never coming to one of my speeches.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's just some of the things that you run into. Like, some people can get away with a few of those things. Mostly because they're professionals and they can, you know, they they know what they're doing. So they can, I guess that would probably be the mark of a professional. You can do the wrong thing, but still do it right.
0: Do you do do a lot of public speaking then?
4: Not anymore. We're coming to yours. (laughs) (laughs) Right. One of my favorites is the explicitly stating what you're going to do right before you do it. Always like the, the, well, they say you're supposed to start with a joke. So let me start with a joke as opposed to just doing your joke. Even if you're going to do the joke, please don't tell us beforehand that it is a joke. Like if it's funny, it's going to be funny and we'll laugh. If it's not funny, then you shouldn't have told the joke.
3: Right. As if like I'm going to tell a joke.
4: Like it's kind of like they're
3: getting ready, getting you ready for a bad joke. But the fun thing about bad jokes are like even if it was bad, if you – even if you know it was bad and yeah. they kind of know it was bad, sometimes it's still actually kind of a funny moment to share with it, people.
4: It's like, oh, I'm going to tell a joke now because I'm cool and self-aware. It's and like, like, so I'm going to point out that I know that I'm going, that I have to tell a joke because it's self-aware and cute, but it's not. It's just cringeworthy. Yeah.
0: It's like the courtesy laugh. Yes. Yes.
4: yes. Oh,
0: like, huh, huh. People mm. just, you, you finish your joke and then you Everyone look out for a, <laughs> a second and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the cur- the Yeah, the death knell of the courtesy laugh.
3: right. Speech is over at that point. You really should just sit down yeah. once, you, once that's happened. <laughs> like, whatever you have to say, I'm sure it was important. Just sit down.
0: So you liked what Dr. Gennard had to say then because he, he actually – you echoed each yeah. other's sentiments about speech.
3: We were on the same wavelength. <laughs> which,
0: which is which – re- I thought he was refreshing. I really did. I, people did s- usually start out with the things that he said not to. So he is different, and I, I think he's right. I he's, think it was
3: – He's pulling in good directions.
0: Yes. Exactly.
4: Well, part of being good too is 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 doing something that people. I mean, like doing something that people aren't going to expect, or doing something that people haven't heard before is like an important part of being able to give a good public speaking. And if you get up and just do the same tired structure that everyone else has heard in every speech, or acceptance speech, or announcement, or sermon, or whatever, whatnot. It, it's just going to be a failure. People need to hear some new things.
0: Well, and he said this. I love this. This is what I found refreshing. Worry about what they want. Worry about the Bryce sitting there. He doesn't want the dumb joke. You know, he, we want to give him something that engages his mind right away. I love that advice. You don't hear that advice. It's all usually about you. Calm down. Articulate. Have your notes prepared. This was about what do they want and delivering that.
3: Right. Why am I sitting there? What am I there for?
0: And getting to know them first, I thought that was excellent advice as well. Because a lot of people do come in. They, you know, I've been in, I've been in, sat in classrooms where they come in, they fix their slide, they get up and they talk, and you're just like, I don't, you know, I don't, ha- I don't know. You don't have any respect for you. Right. But the ones that talked to you before, who are you? What do you do for a living? Those are the speakers I feel connected to.
3: And also when they, uh, y- when you see this guy who's really friendly, who's you know got his drink in his hand and he's chatting with everyone, and then suddenly he's the guy who's speaking. You're like, oh. And I know he's him. my buddy. I know that guy. Hey,
0: we're all friends. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a dog.
3: Right, right. You know things about him. You want to hear from them.
0: And I think that's the essence of communication. My professor here at Brigham Young University, when I was here years ago, he said communication. Want
4: that sound effect again? <laughs> all right, all right. I
0: just wanted to hear that. He said uh, communication, good communication, effective communication is two way. Someone has to say something and someone has to respond. So if you send a text out to someone or an email and they don't respond, that is not communication. So in a speaking arena, you would want to make sure that you get a response. Otherwise, it is not effective communication. Like if they're nodding their heads like you weren't doing, like you were doing, like Ben was doing. If you're, you know, yawning, you're texting, then you're not communicating with your group. And therefore, you're right. You're wasting everyone's time.
4: You got to be able to pay attention to the audience cues to make sure you know Bryce isn't playing a game on his phone. <laughs> it's been known to, to happen. And, and
0: what do you do if that happens? I, I I love this. I was speaking to this group, and a few of them were looking at their phones, kind of laughing at their phones. And what do you do? What What do you think I did? What What would you suggest people do to get to reel back in the audience?
3: I I feel like you got to win them back because pointing it out and shaming them probably isn't the way to do yeah. it. That's
0: what your mom would do. Right, I mean, that's, that's what,
4: <laughs> Yeah. I I think um part of it has you have to accept that you're never going to have you're not you're never going to have everyone's complete attention, right? Like I'm sure even Abraham Lincoln had people in his audiences that were bored. It was probably that one guy who was like, Gettysburg Address, whatever. I'm yeah. Gonna- gosh, <laughs> probably like terrible. the most important speech yeah, that he four said. Four score? What's a score? Name? I don't even like, know.
3: That's weird. I'm going to pay attention some like, to something like, else. You're
4: never going to have a full – audi- like, you're never going to be able to completely – Get everyone, 100 percent of the people. There are probably people listening right now who think that I'm boring and talking too much right now. But like you're never going to have everybody. So you maybe have to accept that a little bit and do the best job you can for the people that you know are going to be paying attention.
0: Well, you know, when I worked again for the senator, we taught him how to collect those people. So in an audience, when he would go visit delegates in different parts of the state – We'd say this is how you speak to farmers, and this is how you speak to these, you know, types of people, so that he can not to be demeaning or better than, just so he would connect. He would throw more yalls in than when speaking to a fundraising group. Do you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. you could you can try if you're focused on them. You can throw in. Word, word usage, hand gestures. What I did when I found them texting during my talk is I immediately held up a prize and suggested, you know, did a little contest. And from then on, I, was, I said, I'll have two <laughs> said, more of those. Yeah. I bribed them. And it worked.
3: Hey, you know what? If it gets result and it's just the means, you know, for the most part, right? <laughs> right?
0: Well, you know. It's like on the radio, right? Calling for a free prize. That's how you get right. people to listen. So that's, that's pretty true. much the
3: way we uh, did. Did tell you about our Mother's Day show? We offered up a book on our Mother's Day show. Tons of callers. No one wanted to talk on the radio. <laughs> Didn't fool us. People were just trying to get their Mother's Day gift in. That's fine. Because they'd probably
4: forgotten that it was Mother's They're Day. Right. They to
3: get something quick. While they were thinking about it. That's fine. That's we all f- like a prize. Right.
0: It's a good day when you get a prize. Well, this has been a great show. We've talked about public speaking. We've had Dr. Gary Janard on. We've had the Bryce is Right uh, public speaking tropes. I want to hear that again. It was awesome. And uh, great, great, great day to talk about that. I hope you all have great success in your next public speaking adventure. And please don't hesitate to uh, call in and tell us how it went. Thanks so much for joining us on The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.